When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Wednesday. Uh, Lance Risland is coming up in the second half. We broke down uh, the Browns and Steelers, what was good in that game and some things that so concerned him from that win. But before we do that, Mary Kay Cabot is here and we're going to talk about the latest uh, in the Miles Garrett uh, after the Miles Garrett car crash. So Mary Kay, we have uh, we sort of know what the damage is, and it certainly could have been worse. A sprained shoulder, strained biceps and a cut hand when he flipped his Porsche on Monday coming home well after he left practice uh, out in Medina County. So we don't know his status yet for Sunday. The Browns would not give any definitives. You reported that he is aiming to try and play in that game. We're still, you know, a few days out from this. So what do you think the chances are that Miles is going to get what he wants? Well, you know, I think they're going to have to hold him back. If he doesn't play, it will be because they said to him, you cannot play after the trauma that you went through this week. Because I know that as we speak today, and right now we're taping this on Tuesday night, that he wants to try to play. We know that he is on a mission this season. He wants to get the Browns to the Super Bowl and win it. Uh, He wants to be... NFL defensive player of the year along the way. He knows that, you know, if you start missing games uh, that you're going to fall behind in that endeavor. And I'm sure he probably is also thinking about the fact that Jadavian Clowney could still be out, that Anthony Walker is out for the rest of the season. And he wants to be there for his football team because that's who he is. Um, But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if family will get involved and, uh, you know, agents will get involved and the Browns will get involved and people will put their heads together and say, Miles, you need to like chill out for a game or if uh, if he will be OK. I mean, I guess if he is cleared medically, then, you know, then he has a chance of playing. But the bottom line right now is that I know he wants to play. Yeah, this is such a this is always such a strange thing to talk about because nobody knows their body better than miles. And, you know, like, who are we to tell him what to do? But at at the same time, miles is, you know, he's 26 years old. He turns 27 in December. He's still got a lot of football left in him. You know, I can imagine that it's hard for him to kind of see the big picture, but I, I could also see a situation where someone in his family, or like you said, his agent, or even somebody on the team says, miles, you got a lot of football left in you. Or and, and even like Miles, we got a lot of football left just this season alone. So, you know, it's more important that we have you, you know, in November and December and that you're 100% at the end of the year playing this game in Atlanta. Yeah, we want to win it. Yeah, it's important. But, you know, if it's at the cost of not having you down the road this season, it might not be worth it. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing to keep in mind here is sometimes when you go through a physical trauma like that, and let's face it, that was an emotional trauma as well. Okay. I mean, he could still be in a little bit of shock at this point, but sometimes your body uh, doesn't respond until a couple of days later. And then you wake up on Wednesday and perhaps you might even be more sore on Wednesday than you were on, on Tuesday, especially if, and we, and I don't know this, but you know, he was treated and released for his injuries. Maybe they, you know, maybe he had some pain medication. I don't know. I have no idea about that, but in, in the event that you do, um, you know, have, have something like that, you might not feel everything until you wake up on Wednesday and feel like you flipped over in your car three times. So, um, you know, by now, I'm sure a lot of people have seen, we have it up on our site, the, um, the body cam video where, you know, he, he did, I mean, he looked dazed. Now, fortunately for him, they ruled out a concussion. So that was good. Otherwise he would not be playing. Uh, and then I think he was also lucky that he did not rupture or tear the biceps tendon. It's just a strain. Uh, obviously he would be, would have been out for the season if, if he ruptured that. But still, nevertheless, I, I think there's, a, you know, enough trauma uh, physically and emotionally that sitting one, this one out might be prudent. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, he's got to get on a plane. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, look, I'm sure they could sit. I, I don't know how the Browns do their first class and all that stuff. I'm sure they could give him a nice spot to sit in the plane and everything. But he's still got to pile on a plane with a bunch of other people. And um, there's not a ton of room for a guy that big to stretch out no matter where he sits he's got to ride the team buses like you know this some of this stuff can can linger and catch up with you over the weekend like I couldn't imagine you know again being in a lesser crash than what he was in and then having to get on an airplane you know a couple days later uh, and then charter around in buses and stuff that's that stuff kind of adds up when you're dealing with some aches and pains yeah, and that, that's why I think it was smart for the Browns in their statement to say that they were going to monitor it throughout the week. They can't rule him out yet, and they haven't ruled him out because, again, if he feels okay and he's cleared medically, then he will play, which would be absolutely remarkable when you look at the magnitude of that crash and you look at the damage done to that car to think that he walked away from it, first of all, and that he could possibly play six days later. It just kind of blows my mind actually. Um, but I mean, that's miles. I mean, he, you know, he's a freak of nature and he feels that at this point that he's going to be okay to do that. Uh, but again, I think it's, it's wise for him, you know, to wake up on Wednesday, see how he feels. The other thing about this is he might not be able to practice all the way up until who knows. I mean, he might not be able to practice at all. It might be one of those things where they hold them out sort of like a game time decision um so yeah it's going to be interesting to see how this goes over the next couple of days yeah and you know i look it's remarkable we're even talking uh, about him playing a game after um everything we saw and the, the car i mean just reading this headline it just blows my mind that it's you know a sprained shoulder a strained biceps and a cut hand like, I mean, yesterday we're talking about how lucky he was just to be able to walk away from it. And today we're at least somewhat realistically talking about him having a chance to play in a few days. I know it, it really is, like you said, sort of mind blowing that that this could even be possible. And again, 
everyone is just so grateful for the fact that Miles and his female passenger were able to uh, emerge from this with neither of them had life threatening injuries. So, uh, you know, they sustained some things, but uh, nothing that, you know, was too, too serious. And it's just so hard to believe. But uh, again, one of the things, one of the reasons for that is because they had their seatbelts on and that is so vitally important. So again, everybody listening to this, kids, if you're out there listening to this, make sure you wear those seatbelts and don't, uh, you know, don't jump on your uh, parents' case for harping on that all the time because it is so vitally important and it probably saved two lives yesterday for sure, or Monday for sure, yesterday, yes. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I, you know, I find it hard to believe, but I guess knowing Miles the way that we do by now, we cannot be shocked if he if he takes the field on Sunday. Yeah, that's that's true. Now, uh, b- before you go here, I know you were at uh, Grant Delpit's charity event today, and he had some things to say about Miles. Yeah, he did. I mean, he just talked about uh, just how it really kind of rattled the whole entire team. Uh, you know, just yesterday when they heard about this, like I, I think he said he might have woken up from a nap and and heard about it, and it was just. Uh, you know, it just obviously shook everybody up. I mean, this is a football team that was already upset about the fact that, um, you know, that Anthony Walker is out for the entire season with a torn quadriceps tendon. I mean, this, that that's enough adversity for one week, I would think, for these guys, because he was such a, a team leader for them and he was so valuable on the football field. And, uh, and they all were feeling really bad about that. And then along comes this uh, shocking Miles news. And, you know, I mean, Miles is, he's almost larger than life. I mean, he's so large physically in, in person, but I mean, just his presence just kind of looms over everything that the Browns do. This is the uh, potential NFL defensive player of the year. That's what he's aiming for. It's their multiple pro bowler. And arguably, I would say, uh, definitely their best player on defense. And I would think a lot of people would think their best player on the team, although there are others uh, that would vie for that title. But uh, this this was huge news and it, it rocked the team. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to hear um, what some players have to say uh, when we're in Berea on Wednesday and, and kind of throughout the week. Um, you know, you mentioned it. Again, this is just speculated. Do, do you think we'll see Miles on Wednesday? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I don't think that he will come out and talk to us tomorrow. I think they will uh, take it easy with him. If he's at the facility, there's a chance he could be because he might go there for his treatment and, you know, whatever he needs. I mean, because the team knows him better than anybody. So being there with the medical staff at the Browns facility might be the best place for him tomorrow. Uh, but from a standpoint of, you know, coming out and speaking, I just don't know. I mean, if he does that, then, you know, then he really is almost superhuman, I would think. Right. I mean, yeah. if, if he comes out and, you know, and talks to us and does all that, then, I mean, he is just not, uh, he's otherworldly if he, if he's able to do all that, I would think that he might still kind of keep a low profile tomorrow, chill out a little bit, get through the, a few more days. His usual day to talk to us is on Friday. So, 
I mean, there's a chance he might just run it all the way up to Friday and come out and talk to us then like he normally does. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that we're not going to have an answer about whether he plays or not until uh, much later in the week as well. Just a combination of, of not really knowing. And then also Kevin is Kevin's usually not in a rush to rule guys out unless it's just painfully obvious that that person is not going to play. So uh, we'll see. We'll hear from Kevin on Wednesday for the first time at one o'clock um, since that accident. So a- anything else here, Mary Kay, before we get to Lance? Well, you know, I was just going to say, I mean, the other thing that we don't know, speaking of Kevin not being ready to rule guys out is uh, we don't know if Jadavian Clowney is going right. to play. So, you know, that could be really interesting. I mean, there's a chance that they could be without their top two defensive ends. There are multiple pro bowlers. They're number one overall picks. And if they don't have those guys, then they're down into their depth and you're looking at basically probably two rookies starting on the outside because they're also without Chase Winovich for a very long time. Uh, So the defensive front has taken a hit. It's taken a hit over the past four or five days with with Anthony, um, with Jadavian, who actually that was a week prior, and, you know, and with Miles and with Chase Winovich. So they're regrouping a little bit up front, but certainly they don't want to have to play this game without both of those guys. Yeah, Jadavian was not at practice on Monday. We did see him walk through the locker room quickly um mm-hmm. but he was not and i you know i don't re- recall i don't think he had a boot on when we saw him on monday um no he did not have a boot on he did have a boot when he left the locker room after the game against the jets which is when he got hurt yes he did not have that boot on yesterday and he seemed like he was in really good spirits he was kind of singing a little bit in the locker room and i think that's always a good sign how you know some somebody's demeanor and and what they're acting like. I think, you know, that's always good. So I don't know if he's ready to play yet or not, but, um, but he seems to be on the mend. Okay. Uh, That's Mary Kay Cabot, obviously. Um, Glad that we're talking about Miles Garrett and football today. Um, Everything that that we saw, the images that we saw, all of that. Um, So it's good that we're kind of back to talking about Miles and and the potential to play in Atlanta on Sunday. Uh, Mary Kay, I'm going to let you go. Lance Reisland is coming up on the other side of the break here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Sounds great. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now welcoming on Lance Reisland for his weekly segment, looking back at uh, what the Browns did well in their last game, kind of looking ahead a little bit too. Lance, it's been a little while since the Browns played Thursday night against the Steelers, but there was so much good from that game to get into. Let's just start with, with kind of your first takeaway. Well, I thought the, the game plan from uh, Stefanski for Brissett was uh, set him up for success. Uh, they um, they went a little tempo early, which I thought was really, really good. They changed the pace. Um, they went 11 reps of empty. Um, and within that empty, they threw passes to Cooper and to Joku. And it was the, the routes that Brissett throws very well. It was the outs, the option routes, the choices. Um, so it set him up for success. And he got the right, uh, right people involved. Uh, and then, of course, that run game really helps in terms of, of getting getting the one-on-one matchups and the zone coverages that he can attack. So there's there's two things I want to talk about off that. The first is you you bring up the empty sets. And one of the things that I've always liked about Kevin Stefanski's offense, and this is going back to 2020, when he goes empty, it's not just like five receivers. In fact, he rarely goes beyond three receivers. Um, but he'll go he'll go empty out of 13 personnel sometimes. Like he, he goes empty out of really weird 
formations and it really creates mismatches and puts, puts a guy like a Kareem Hunt or, you know, they might sneak Amari Cooper into the slot and then all of a sudden, oh no, this guy's covered by a linebacker or whatever, or a slower corner. Some of his creativity with the empty sets, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, and you're, I think you hit it right on the head. Usually when you think of empty, you're thinking five wides, you're thinking getting the ball out, you're thinking speed, and, and they do that as well. But I really like the, like the 13 personnel and in terms of the defensive personnel they're going to see then and, you know, how they they get their guys, these the, the, the Jokus and the, um, you know, Kareem Hunts. These guys are matchup issues for the people that are on the field um, when they're in that 13 personnel or 12 personnel or the non-traditional uh, five receiver set. And I just think it was the, the change of pace in that empty was it, it gives a quarterback such confidence and, you know, it gives it's his, he's kind of running the show. And um, though they're not vertically stretching the field, he's going through progressions and getting, uh, getting the guys, the ball in space. And uh, I just thought it was a great, you know, the empty with the, the change of pace, I thought was a great start. And then I, I think my favorite play and, you know, Jacoby Brissett deserves a ton of credit for, you know, making the throws that are there. I think one of my favorite plays came on that 11 play 80 yard drive that was in span the third and fourth quarters. And they ran the ball 10 times, but they threw the ball once. And that one run or that one throw was basically set up by all of these, these runs. And like, it was the exact same formation, exact same motions, you know, when you watch it, if if you're not ball watching, if you're just watching the O-line, you're watching everybody else, it looks like, okay, this is just going to be a handoff to, I, I can't remember if it was Chubb or Hunt in the backfield, but it's just going to be a handoff. And then the next thing you know, I think Minka Fitzpatrick was the guy that kind of bit and Amari Cooper's one-on-one and they get 32 yards on, they get this one chunk play on this drive when, when they ran the ball just over and over and over again. Well, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in terms of the, the misses he had against the Panthers and these both, that was an example of the things he can't miss. He, uh, they had set it up with the run. They were, they were downhill. Those safeties were coming downhill. They were crowding the line of scrimmage. And the thing that was, you know, probably scary to the Steelers, they still couldn't stop it. Uh, so they kept getting more people in the box and that was all set up and he's going to get those matchups. And, and that's a, that's a home run that he's got to hit just like he did in the Carolina game that he missed. Those are the, the few shots uh, that the Browns are going to take. He has to hit those. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. I thought that was uh um, a big play. Actually, you know, I had a, a, another, there, there, there was a drive that the Browns had. I thought that played into his hands a, even more. It, it was, uh, they had a, uh, from the 19 yard line, it was second and nine. And usually that's been a pass down for us, uh, for the Browns. And they threw a short, boring pass in Ujoku and it was, and then it was, uh, third and three. Um, then they, then they ran the ball and got a first down and then they hit the touchdown in Ujoku. And I just thought it was a, staying committed to the run which we had talked about I thought that was a big drive and a big uh, series for Stefanski and the Browns in terms of like they're committed to the run and they're going to run um, they're starting to run more on those 50-50 downs I call them where the defense doesn't really know if it's a pass or a run and I thought they did a great job with that. So I, I want to throw one more Jacoby thing at you um, and, and I, I've kind of said this a couple times on the pod but it feels like one of the reasons Jacoby is successful is because he just one, he knows who he is, and two, he knows exactly what's being asked of him. You know, and and that that's sort of in stark contrast to what we saw last year when you know Baker Mayfield was clearly unhappy with the offense. He wanted it to be more open. He wanted it to look more like it did in Oklahoma. Whereas Kevin very clearly thought, like, no, this is the offense we have to run with you. It, it feels like 
one of Jacoby Brissett's strengths is like just sort of knowing, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm being asked to do. I'm just going to go do it. Yeah, there's something to be said about knowing your role and starring in your role. I heard that a long time ago, um, probably from my father in terms of <laughs> not everybody can be the star. Not everybody can be the, the, the guy, the, the chubs of the world. You got to accept your role and star in your role. And, and I agree. And then he's also he's making those plays that his strengths kind of show you. And, you know, those two touchdown passes, he had one high hat. One was a zone to Najoku. One was a, a man coverage uh, to Cooper. Those are just simple slant routes, but he had to keep uh, Fitzpatrick in the middle of the field, and he did a good job with his eyes of keeping the you know keeping him in the middle just for a split second. And those are things you expect him to do. He by using his eyes and understanding the coverage, he was able to make a simple throw. And uh, you're right; I think he's doing uh, what he's asking. I think he I think he likes it. Okay, so you mentioned um, you know the stars, right? Of course, we talk about Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. Uh, one of the things I always like to talk about with NFL rosters is follow the money. Like where are teams putting their money? And with the Browns last year, they made it very clear about their commitment to the run game. You know, they paid Nick Chubb in the, in the summer. And then about halfway through the season, they extended Wyatt Teller, made him, I believe he was the highest paid guard for about 12 hours until they made Joel Batonio the highest paid guard in football. They're telling you what they value when they when they put their money in in those places these browns guards when they get out in space teller and batonio are really something special and and i think that's kind of what you wanted to talk about here with your second second point yeah you know it was you watch them in the zone game when they're doubling getting to the uh to the backers uh either front side or backside uh they do a great job in the pin and pull but the the stuff that's that i really really like is when they they get out in front of that counter game and you know, usually in a counter game, they're you trying to kick out or log that defensive end. And what the Browns do a great job of, either with Njoku or DPJ, is that they they pin that end and they get those guards out in front of that counter game. And when those guys get out in front and they're blocking second level guys or third level guys, they're just devastating. And the Browns as a whole, um, you know, it was big having uh, Conklin back. He made some really good plays on film. But those guards, whether they're blocking zone, whether they're blocking um, you know, the counter game, the pin and pull game, when they're out in space and they're getting the second level, they're, they're as good as they're as good as you can watch. It's, it's pretty incredible to watch them on film and they're consistent uh, and they move people and people know the run's coming. And there's times where, you know, it's coming and those two just move people and it just doesn't matter. And you're right. The Browns invested a lot in, in into that and uh, they are definitely creating their identity um, with those two running the ball for sure. So, you know, obviously, and this this is no disrespect to Nick Chubb, I, I think he's maybe the best just runner in football. I think Kareem Hunt is is up there as far as all around backs are concerned. But does this run game work without those two guards? Um, I say no. I say it can be successful because Coach Callahan is really, really good in terms of their um, relentless pursuit of the, the details. Uh, watching that for 20 days, that was my favorite part of practice. I, I tell everybody that first 20 minutes watching those old linemen get after it every day with the, the basic skills was absolutely my favorite. But no, there's so not only are they good because the Browns have been good when they have other people in there, but to be the next level, to be playoff caliber, to be, um, you know, AFC, you know, championship type caliber. I don't know if you I don't know if you can do it without those guards. Those guards are moving really good people. They're 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 consistently moving people. Um you know, down after down after down. So I think the Browns could be successful, but I don't know if they could be next level successful without those two. 
yeah it's sort of like like nick chubb is is fantastic but then you throw in these guards and it just takes him to like this you know a guy that probably on his own would do really well but you added these guards and now he's you know averaging five six yards a carry with almost with ease sometimes you know i just went i was just doing the the numbers and he's averaging 5.5 for rush right now um through three games and that's that's an incredible stat in the nfl um and they are teams know they're running the ball and you know the thing they do though everybody says that they're those guards allow them to be creative they can run the inside outside zone they can get to the edge on the counter that pin and pull screens they can do so much that um it's not just knocking people off the ball which is what they do the best they can do they can do just whatever you know whatever they need to do to get to uh um get those guys those backs in, in space and uh, i know chubb's yards after contact is always really high too and, and some of that could some of that be because those guards are taking care of some of the bigger guys up front and frankly a corner or safety or a small linebacker doesn't have a chance against nick chubb but when you watch the uh, the big 36-yard run, I, I watched a bunch of times trying to figure out what the Browns did. And what they do is that, you know, obviously the secondary, there's going to be a guy unblocked in the secondary. And the Browns do a great job of getting the first level blocked. And they also do a great job of getting to the uh, linebackers. And it is really – it's it's sad for those defensive backs. They have no chance. They have no chance to tackle him one-on-one. Uh, Witherspoon is in the hole. He has a great angle. He is – uh, face-to-face with Chubb, and Chubb runs right through him as, as if he's not there. So, yeah, I think the fact that he's – rarely does he get touched, uh, and then when he does get touched, he's really, really hard to bring down. So, yeah, it's a, it's a perfect marriage. The, the run, the O-line with him, it's uh, – I don't think either could be as good as they are without each other, but, you know, not having each other, they're, they're next level for sure. Okay, let's move to uh, some of your concerns, and your first one had to do with uh, disrupting the Steelers' offense. Well, the first half, I just, in, in, even throughout the game, the last drive, learning how to finish, I just, there was not a lot of disruption. There was not a lot of pocket push. There was not a lot of edge where Trubisky had to step up. Um, there wasn't a lot of pressure in the secondary with pass breakdowns. Um, you know, there's two, uh, two QB hits, one sack, a couple, uh, I think three tackles for a loss. There wasn't, it's not necessarily pressure, I like to say. I like to say disruption. There wasn't just a lot of, you know, hands on the receivers. Uh, rerouting their routes, uh, you know, Trubisky and, they, and, the, and the Steelers did a good job of understanding that they had some deficiencies and they moved the pocket and, and changed uh, Trubisky's launch point a bunch. But that was uh, that's alarming that the fact that the Browns um, against uh, Mitchell Trubisky, who was struggling up to that point, um, he looked very comfortable. He looked at ease and uh, they moved the ball very well. Yeah, I, I saw that, too. It seemed like there were times when the, the Steelers passing game was just a little bit too easy for him. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit like, you know, is this really going to happen again? And then in the second half, the defense kind of stepped up a little bit when the, when the momentum turned. Uh, but, but there were some times when I, there were times that left me still a little bit unsure about where this defense is at as a whole. Yeah. There's no, you know, and the thing I wrote down that was shocking is that Steelers went at, at Denzel Ward 10 times. They, well, he didn't, he didn't complete them all, but the fact that they went at him 10 times and that was uh, with Deontay Johnson, most of that, um, that's alarming because if you're a shutdown corner, uh, usually teams try to stay away from you a little bit. And uh, I felt that they, uh, that they went after him and I, and that, that's, um, that's alarming too, that, you know, he gave up some, gave up some uh, catches and um, it, it was kind of shocking when I was breaking down the film that it was, you know, charting those, it was 10 times that they, they went right at him. Yeah, and, that, and that's just one of those things that you kind of put a pin in because 
you know, they just haven't had to play. I mean, really, they haven't had to play a top half of the league guy yet at, at the quarterback position. Um, you know, and they've got some, you know, Marcus Mariota's playing well. I, I don't know exactly where he sits, but then you've got, you know, granted a banged up Justin Herbert, but still Justin Herbert. You know, you've got Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow coming up on the schedule. You've got some guys that, you know, you've just got to be careful looking at this defense and and really saying, okay, they're fine because, I, you know, we're just not sure yet. At least that's where I'm at. Well, you know, and I, the, where I'm at is I still want to see the defensive tackle stop the run. There was a couple drives. I, I think I, I got in contact with you with my concern. It was the, the second scoring drive of the Steelers, and they kind of just ran right at the Browns, and that's a concern. Uh, but I think that could also play into the Browns' hands because uh, I thought uh, another player that was uh, set up for success was Delpit. He had troubles uh, covering a little bit last week, uh, had some breakdowns in the last first couple weeks, and they put him down in the box a little bit this week, and he made some plays in the run game. Um, but I think they're, you know, when you can face like the Patriots and you face some teams that are going to run downhill at the Browns, I think the, the corners are going to have to play more man. And it looks for me, I haven't broken that down exactly, but their struggles are coming in zone. Their struggles uh, are coming when they're in soft coverage. So hopefully when the Browns have to pack the box a little bit against these good run teams as well, uh, they'll be in a little bit more man. I, I think they could be pretty successful in man. So, you know, you mentioned the willingness uh, of Pittsburgh to attack Denzel Ward. Ultimately, how did you come away from that game feeling about uh, Denzel and kind of where he's at? You know, it's the defense to me, it's just it's it's that lack of pressure. I just felt like they're uh, it's almost like maybe because they're not facing those top tier guys. But it almost feels like a level of cruise control. Um, like I said, there's not a lot of, you know, I thought Fields when he came in, I thought Phillips. I thought those guys had some good energy and. Um, that helped, you know, getting dealt with down in the box in the run game. They just don't seem to have a lot of energy and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of juice right now. Um, and that's, that would be my most concerning. Uh, they got, they got great players at, at every level, but that's my, my takeaway from the game was that they're just kind of going through the motions a little bit, at least it looks that way. So, you know, real quick, I want to just throw this at you. Um, and this is, I'm blindsiding you with this one, but uh, when you look at Atlanta, I guess the thing I look at is they're a really funky offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Pitts is really big uh, and he kind of, if I'm not mistaken, they kind of were targeting him a little bit more than they had been in the first two weeks. Drake London is off to a nice start and he's a big guy that can go get the football. Corderell Patterson is like a wide receiver kick returner converted to a running back who's playing yeah. really well. This is just a really funky offense. Um, I'm, I'm curious how you think the Browns will deal with, you know, a team that has scored a, a good amount of points this season and, and does some, you know, Arthur Smith has a little bit of Kevin Stefanski in him. I think they're almost the exact same age, honestly. And, and they kind of run, you know, it's sort of that zone blocking Mm-hmm. Um, kind of that Shanahan style system. So I'm, I'm curious how you think the Browns will deal with sort of a funky offense with a couple of big targets like that. Well, that, that's the good thing about the Browns is they, they love to play base. So I think they'll, um, they're not going to have to make a lot of adjustments in terms of their four, three look They're two shell. Um, it'll just be sliding backers, you know, depending on the strength of the of formation. Uh, I think they will be a little bit more amped up because the, the, they scored a lot of points. Like you said, the Falcons have scored some points, so they're going to have to play well. Uh, I'm interested to see the matchup. It's the first, uh, seems like the first matchup. They're going to get the ball to Pitts. So I'm interested to see that matchup. I'm interested actually to uh, break that film down a little bit more in terms of uh, how the Falcons are going to attack the Browns. Um, I still think that I still think that they're going to attack downhill at those uh, D tackles. I still think they're going to make the Browns 
Um, and now, especially with the backup linebackers in there a little bit more, I still think that Browns are going to have to figure out a way to stop teams when they start running that zone. And they're going to see They're going to, like you said, they're going to see some inside zone and they're going to see some big double teams in there this week. So I'm interested to see how those D tackles hold up. All right. That's Lance Reisland. Uh, you can see his film work that, uh, that he does for us at cleveland.com slash Browns and also Lance, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, it's Lance Reisland, L-A-N-C-E-R-E-I-S-L-A-N-D. All right, Lance, uh, appreciate you taking the time. Uh, real quick, everybody, Football Insider, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You get that newsletter every day. You get exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. Uh, and, of course, you can become one of our tech subscribers. Uh, and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And so for Mary Kay earlier and Lance now, I'm Dan. I'll talk to everyone later.